0: Good morning, church. My name is Kyle. I'm one of the pastors here, and I don't do this every week, just so you know. For those of you who are visiting, who are new or uh, visiting with us, but I am excited to uh, continue us through our sermon series. We're in our third week of our series, The Sermon on the Mount, from Matthew chapter 5. The first week was um, kind of the big picture overview, Kingdom of God Second week, last week, was Beatitudes, which is really the foundation for the entire Sermon on the Mount. And today, and really for the rest of our time in the Sermon on the Mount, it's, it's really all about what it looks like to live as citizens of the kingdom of God. Things like going the extra mile, or living sacrificially, being generous, or little things, you know, like loving your enemies. As citizens of God's kingdom, we should look different than the world around us. The Sermon on the Mount helps us. Jesus is helping us in a very practical way know what that looks like, what it looks like for us to live this way. Well, we have some work to do this morning, but uh, before we go any further, we, we certainly need God's help. So let me pray for us. Lord, help us to open our hearts and our minds to your word to be sensitive to your guidance and correction in our lives and to your spirit's conviction to help us to know where we need to change to live our lives more as citizens of heaven and not of this world. Lord, I ask that you would grant me wisdom and the words that you would have me to speak, that your spirit would illuminate for us what you desire for us to learn this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, show of hands, who enjoys camping? I mean, like you would say, I love to go camping. All right, it's about what I expected. (laughs) So I love to go camping. In fact, I was just camping this past week. We just got home on a Friday evening. A lot of people like to go, you know, be out in nature. They enjoy outdoors, hiking, boating, uh, fishing, whatever the case may be. They enjoy being out in nature, but not everybody enjoys camping. Uh, there's, it's kind of the next level, right, of like enjoying nature. It takes a lot of work to prepare. Uh, my wife does a ton of it, which I'm very grateful for. Um, I don't even know if my kids really enjoy camping. I, they say they do, but I think they just do it to love me, which I'm grateful for. But one of the unique things about going camping is you stay overnight. And you really, just by the way, if you don't camp and you only go hiking and then you leave before the sun goes down you're missing out on like, this whole next level of awesome adventure. <laughs> Sitting around the campfire, spooking your kids, you know, uh, sneaking around behind their tent at night. It's, it's amazing. You should try it out. <laughs> but one of the things about camping is it's dark. You're there after dark and you, you bring along things like lanterns and flashlights, uh, firewood to have a fire and, and maybe cook over. But it helps you at night when it's dark. Um, you also get to experience just the beauty of God's creation. It's breathtaking to see the stars out away from the city. I love to sit there and just just worship God and just praise Him for for how beautiful uh, nature is. I remember the first time I was in Uganda. Aaron and I went to Uganda, took a mission trip there, and um, it gets dark at night. You're out in this remote village, away from all the city lights, and I don't know if you guys know this, but in other parts of the world, they refer, refer to flashlights as torches. Uh, I don't know if you know this, but I was a firefighter for 10 years. And so when the kids started talking about going to get torches so we could see at night, I was like, this is a recipe for disaster. There's dry grass everywhere. People are living in dry grass huts. I was, th- I was freaking out a little bit. But uh, thankfully, there was another firefighter there with us, and he said, oh, don't worry, Kyle. Kyle. They're, they're just flashlights. And they did. They came back with battery-operated flashlights. I remember one time we were on a night hike, um, again, trying to swoop my kids a little bit. And we turned our all of our lights, our headlamps and lanterns. And it was so dark that I could barely see my hand in front of me. And it's in a situation like that that you really gain an appreciation for the effectiveness of light. And in our passage today, Jesus talks about light. As well as salt. And he talks about how, as followers of Jesus, we are called to look and be different than the world around us. And so, our big idea for today is simply this we are the salt and light of the world. But as we get started, as we're unpacking this passage, I wanna remind us of the purpose of why we are the salt and light of the world. It's not about us, it's not about our identity. Or how good we look to the world or to people in our our workplace or our neighbors. It's not about our successes and our achievements. It's all about God. It's all about Him. We are the salt and light of the world to point to God and to bring Him glory. So let's keep that in mind as we dive in. Starting in verse 11 of Matthew chapter 5. Blessed are you... This is a crazy way to start. It's blessed are you when people insult you. Persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way that persecuted the prophets who were before you. I think Jesus is giving us a bit of a heads up here. See, he wants us to know when we're going to follow him, when we're going to live the way that he's called us to live, that we need to have the right expectation and the right focus. So a couple expectations that I want to point out. Number one, we can expect to be misunderstood. Following Jesus means difficulty in this life. I think sometimes uh, churches or, or, you know, whether it's happening in churches or not, people can maybe have this uh, perception that if you follow Jesus, everything will be wonderful. And in ways, that is very true. But it's, it's actually the opposite of what Jesus is teaching here. He does say we'll be blessed. But we see clearly that Jesus teaches we'll be insulted, we'll be persecuted. Our words and actions will be misunderstood. When we follow Jesus, uh, he even says in First John 3, verse 13, that the world may even hate you because of him we can be uh, we can expect to be misunderstood second expectation we can expect nothing new just like the prophets of old who came before us proclaiming the kingdom of god if you're going to act different than the ways of the world which we absolutely should it's what we're called to but if we're going to if we're going to do that then we should expect to be treated differently as well when we live as citizens of the kingdom the world will take notice, and, and some won't like what they see. They will treat us different. They'll, they'll think differently of us. And this is a difficult reality, which is why we need to keep our focus on eternity, which leads us to point number three: We must keep our focus on eternity. We must have a kingdom mindset and be eternally focused and keep our eyes on Jesus. He says, to rejoice, to be glad amidst difficulty. But we can only do this if we keep an eternal focus, looking to heaven and not to this world. A few years back, um, we handed out a book, and many people read it. We read it together as a church called Evangelism as Exiles. Elliot Clark wrote this book. If you haven't read it, I highly recommend it. I think we still have some copies around, so we'd be uh, happy to give you a copy of it. But Elliot Clark says that we are living as sojourners, strangers in this foreign land. Our home is in eternity. Recently, I was having a conversation with a new friend of mine who is from another country. Um, he's only lived here for a few short months. And he and I were talking about, um, you know, what it's like to live as a foreigner. And, and I got to share with him... Um, I have been to other parts of the world. I've been to the Middle East, deployments in the military and, and things like that. But, um, you know, I, I was sympathizing with him. And I said, man, I'm so sorry. And I want to help make your time here um, smooth, as smooth as it can be. And, and help you get used to the culture, the changes. But, um, but I was able to say to him, I know I'm from the United States. But I'm not, this is not my home either. We're, we're similar in that way. That we, I long to be with Jesus. I long to be in eternity in heaven. Well, the rest of our passage, and really for the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, for the rest of the series, uh, it's going to give us guidance. Jesus is going to give us guidance for what it looks like to live as citizens of the kingdom. But again, first, he wanted us to have the right expectations. If you're going to follow me, here's what you can expect, and here's where you should focus. All right, let's pick up in verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. All right, I'm going to give you a little bit of a window into the way my brain works. Okay, don't make fun of me. But I get distracted when I started reading this passage, and I'm also I start thinking of salt. Um, I start thinking, why does Jesus refer to people as seasoning? Like, that is just very strange. And then I start thinking um, about the amazing salty Chick-fil-A waffle fries. Anybody else love Chick-fil-A's waffle fries? Our daughter just got a job there, and she loves me, so she'll bring me some waffle fries home every once in a while. But then I start thinking, maybe I'm getting old, but do I need to limit my salt intake? (laughs) I'm not ready to commit to that yet. But the point is, like, I start having all these thoughts about salt. But here's the deal. Jesus often uses illustrations or metaphors to make a point. Obviously, he's not saying, Hey, Christian, you are sodium chloride. Right? So what what does it mean that we are the salt of the earth? A couple things to point out. It's about preserving. Salt does many things. It's very handy in freezing temperatures. Just this last winter, uh, we were throwing salt out on the ground so that as people were showing up in the freezing temperatures, they wouldn't slip and fall on their butt. Uh, unfortunately, I didn't do that at home for my family, and I asked Brittany's permission to share this story. Uh, so I'm here at the office, i working, and I get a call from her, and she sounds like she's in pain. And she was. She, she went out. She took the dogs out back. She was walking across our nice, clean, new pressure wash deck. And it was frozen. And she slipped and went down hard. Uh, she called me. It was probably like 10, 15 minutes later that she was able to compose herself and get back inside. She left her phone inside, fortunately, so it didn't break when she fell. But she didn't have it on her. Uh, and by the way, I went out and bought her an Apple Watch. We, got, we They had to buy one get one free, so I got one too. But... Uh, <laughs> But the reason, the reason I did that was because I found out, and again, I think this is aging me, like I'm, it's making me feel old, I found out that like it notifies you if somebody falls. So like if she falls, it'll tell me, which is awesome. Uh, but salt can be really helpful, right? In our day, probably the most common use for salt is for adding flavor to food or for tenderizing meat. If anybody has a Traeger or a smoker, you know what I'm talking about. Tenderize that meat. It's Hey, it's Father's Day. We already heard that. Um, But in ancient times and in other cultures still today, salt has much more of a significance than I think most of us realize. While studying, uh, I came across an article. I think it was from gotquestions.org. I don't remember for sure, but um, I found this quote, and I thought it was really interesting, so I wanted to share it with you. It's a little bit long, but bear with me. Salt has been used in many cultures as a valuable commodity. The word salary comes from an ancient word meaning salt money, referring to a Roman soldier's allowance for the purchase of salt. Someone who earns his pay is still said to be worth his salt. Salt has also been used to express promises and friendship between people. It was even considered to be uh, by the Greeks to be divine. That's very valuable. Today, in many Arab cultures, if two men partake of salt together, they are sworn to protect one another, even if they had previously been enemies. So if anybody wants to share waffle fries, we can, like, protect each other, you know? In some cultures, people throw salt over their shoulder when they make a promise. In the ancient world ingesting salt was a way to make an agreement legally binding. Can you imagine buying a car just from like eating some salt with somebody? (laughs) Um, Sorry, I lost my spot. Oh, if if two parties entered into an agreement, they would eat salt together in the presence of a witness and that act would bind their contract. Very interesting. Um, I don't have time to dig into some of the biblical references, but I just want to at least make the point here, if you really want to take a deep dive, look into uh, the use of salt in Leviticus for offerings, for grain offerings to God, or in Second Chronicles 13, I believe in Numbers, it talks about a salt covenant. In our culture, salt is really easy to come by. You know, we just go down to the store and buy salt, we don't really think much about it. But the point is, when we realize the value salt had to the disciples who were there with Jesus, the original hearers of this text, it helps us understand the significance that we, you and I, are the salt of the earth. Think about refrigeration. Refrigeration didn't exist in the first century. And before refrigeration, a primary use of salt was to help preserve meat, to keep it from decaying. Jesus When he says that you are the salt of the earth, he's not talking about helping people not slip on the ice. He's talking about preserving, that preserving effect that salt has. Point number two, it's about effectiveness. Losing its saltiness, its ability to preserve and prevent decay meant it had lost its effectiveness. The very thing it was intended for. So if it's ineffective in preventing decay and in providing flavor, then it's really worthless. It's, it's lost its value. So what does all this mean? That Jesus is teaching we are the salt of the earth. Meaning in this life we are meant to have gospel effectiveness. As believers, we are to be agents of change and redemption. With the help of the Holy Spirit, we are empowered to bring about hope, healing, and restoration in this decaying world, preserving what is good and right. Scholar and author D.A. Carson says it this way, he, Jesus, is saying that apart from his disciples, the world turns even more rotten. Author and Bible teacher Jen Wilkin asks an important question. Does your life make anyone thirsty for God? Let that sink in for a minute. I'll ask it again and think about it for yourself. Do people, when they are around you, when they see the way you live your life, do they long for God? Do they want what you have? Does your life make anyone thirsty for God? Imagine a world without the love of Christ. Jesus is... Completely aware at how broken this world is. That it's decaying from the effects of sin. And he has a solution. The solution is us, his church. We are the way in which he has chosen to bring about healing and restoration in this world. Before moving on, I do want to point out one, make one point of clarification um, I think this idea of salt losing its saltiness could potentially cause questions. Uh, is this saying we could lose our salvation? And I don't believe that's what Jesus is saying. This could be a whole other sermon, really. But the Bible teaches clearly that those who believe in Jesus will never perish. When someone comes to true repentance of sin and faith in Jesus, the Bible says they are saved. Ephesians one says, when we come to Christ, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit as a promise of our salvation, and God does not break His promises. Romans eleven twenty nine says that salvation is a gift from God, and God's gifts are irrevocable. I don't know about you, but I'm so incredibly thankful for these truths. Picking back up in verse fourteen. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. There's no question that this world, the world we live in, is dark We can look, it's not difficult to look in just about any direction and see the effects that sin has, the decaying effects of this world. And Jesus is saying, just simply saying, that if there's darkness, there must be something to bring about light. And he has given us, his followers, a mission to shine brightly, to shine his lights in the world. This is a big deal. Uh, I think light is a big deal. And I, and I want to take a minute just to, um, to think about the importance of light. After all, God created light. If you look in Genesis, we can see in, Gen- in the very beginning, in Genesis chapter 1, we can see that God created light, and he said it was good. And he separated it from darkness. So I want to talk f- four points about the, um, uh, the importance of light. Point number one, light is helpful. Again, thinking about the original hearers of the text that were there with Jesus... There was no electricity. They didn't, have, they didn't even have a category for it. They did understand light. They understood um, that light was helpful. They, you know, in the morning, the sun would come up, and they would work throughout the day, and then the sun would go down, and, well, they couldn't really keep working after dark, so that kind of dictated their day. It's a little bit different than us. But they understood the importance of light. Before the light bulb, they used lanterns, and candles and fires to provide light, which was helpful. Point number two, light affects people's moods. Uh, for some people here in the Pacific Northwest, the gloomier months, the darker months, really have an effect on how they're doing, on their, on their heart, on their mind. Just It really does affect them. There's seasonal depression. I actually think the opposite is very true as well. Uh, you can ask my family. When I spend a lot of time in the sun or out in the light, I get grumpy. Uh, and when I have the opportunity, I, so actually while we were camping, there's have you ever seen the RVs called Sun Tracker? They're like going after the sun. They're trying to find the, the sunniest spot. And I'm a sun, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm a shade hunter. I'm looking for the shade. I'm like, find me a crack where I could just cool off and get in the shade. But again, light affects People's moods. Point number three, light leads to growth. There's a direct correlation between light and growth and life. Think about photosynthesis, a process used by plants and other organisms to convert light energy into chemical energy. Or another way of saying it is, it's a process where plants and other organisms use sunlight to make food to survive and grow similarly, light causes God's kingdom to grow through his disciples. Quick side note. What's the opposite? This is a trick question. It's going to be difficult. What's the opposite of light? Darkness. Right? (laughs) What happens in darkness? According to my mom and my grandma, when I was dating Brittany in high school, nothing good ever happens after dark, Kyle. (laughs) And they were kind of True, right? There's some truth to that. <laughs> it's easy to stay hidden in the dark. We can hide our sin in the dark. John 3, verse, uh, yeah, John 3 verse 20, Jesus says, For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not want to come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. Light exposes sin and darkness. Point number 4. Light represents holiness. There's a direct correlation between light and the holiness in we see uh, in the scriptures. Again, Elliot Clark in his uh, book Evangelism of Exiles referring to the nation of Israel says, "God had set them apart, the nation of Israel. He set them apart as a visible demonstration of his own holiness." Look at this, to be shining lights in the world. God called the nation of Israel to live holy lives. To live as citizens of God's kingdom. And in the same way, God's called the church, he's called us a people. To be set apart. To live holy lives. To live holy as he is holy. 1 John 1.16 So, let's talk about the church for just a minute. Think about this. If you were to light one single candle and put it in a, in a pitch black room. You would see a light flickering, a faintly, you know, faint light that would flicker. But think about if you did 10 candles. If you lit, lit 10 candles, it would be more intense, a little bit brighter. Or if you did a, lit a 1,000 or more candles, it would be significantly brighter. There, you see the, the point. It gets more intense. It's more, it's more clear. There's a larger impact. Think about when the church comes together. On my own, I can be a light that 's what i 'm called to do is be a light to shine brightly wherever I am, but when we all do that, when we come together, we can have a larger impact. Uh, the world is watching, and Jesus talks about this. He says that they, that the world will know Jesus by our love for one another john thirteen thirty five by this everyone will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another. Church is not just this. It's not just a one hour event on Sunday. We often say here at Sound City that church is not a building. It's a people. Do we live this out? Do we really know and love one another? I think in a lot of ways we do. But I also think we can do better. I heard someone once say, "If you go to a movie theater where you know really know uh, nobody that's sitting around you, and that's a similar experience to what you experience at church, something is wrong." And speaking of church, we've been given our mission to shine bright. Shining bright is our mission. Jesus calls us to be the light of the world to be agents of change for the kingdom, helping transform this world from darkness to light. But this cannot happen in private. It must be visible for people to see. It must be shared with the world around us. What good would it be to keep it to ourselves? If you discovered the best Mexican food in town, would you keep that to yourself? I hope not. I love Mexican food. If you found the cure for cancer, would you keep that to yourself? Of course not. You would get on whatever platform and whatever Facebook, whatever mountaintop you could, and you would scream it to the world. You would tell everyone, We have the gift of salvation. We cannot keep that to ourselves. People around us need to see with their own eyes what we believe. They need to see that we believe, uh, that we act the way we believe. When others see our life, they should see something different. This is effective evangelism. We can, we should talk about our faith. We should talk about the Bible, what we believe. But when people see our lives, they should see clearly what we claim to believe. Today happens to be Father's Day. And so I want to talk to the fathers for a moment. We are called to father differently. Uh, Speaking of camping, just because I was there this week, you know, I, I would see things happen. You're very close to people, too. Like, we had some nice privacy. It was nice. We had a lot of shade. Uh, I made sure of that. But, you know, you hear the way fathers talk to their children that are, that are not, you, you can assume they're not believers. And, and don't hear me say that I do this perfectly. I, I have made a mess sometimes of the way I parent my children. And I've had to ask for repentance many times. But we are called to father, to parent differently than the world. Uh, to not be greedy. To not work till 11 o'clock at night. To squeeze every last penny out of our you know company that will pay us. To control our anger. I don't know if any other followers in the room struggle with anger. It's something I've struggled with in the past. To use our strength That God has given us for good, to lead our family, to love our family, to care for our family. Do your neighbors see a difference in how you love and serve your family? As fathers, I think we can do better. I know some of you are amazing fathers, but I know that we can do better. We should encourage and build up our families, and we should be the the salt and light in our homes. Pastor and author Sam Storms talks about being the salt and light of the world as standing out in a crowd. Something that most of us don't enjoy, most of us don't want to do that, some people do. Um, But he says, by nature, we don't want to be the salt of the earth, we want to be the earth. We don't want to be the light of the world, it's much easier and safer to just be the world. We cannot let the world dictate, though, how we live our lives. Movies and media cannot be our guiding light. Netflix and Disney cannot shape our thoughts and our attitudes and behaviors. We have to allow God's ways to become our ways. If you are a Christian, you are made new. Brought out of a kingdom of darkness and into a kingdom of light. Still imperfect, still a work in progress. But we are called to be holy creatures. God created us to represent him, a holy God. Creatures created to bring glory to God. So, look, I've given a lot. This, again, I had said at the beginning, this is very practical. There's a lot of, like, do this, be this way, live this way. Salt, you know, it's preserving. How effective is our life? Are you being an agent of change, bringing hope to the world? Does your life make change? others thirsty for God. There's a lot of practical stuff here. Light, being uh, helpful, being impactful. Discipleship and growth. Who are you discipling? Or your personal holiness, how are you growing in your relationship with God? Mission, are you shining brightly for others to see? So there's a lot of practical. But how could we do any of this? We cannot do it on our own. It's only by the power of the Holy Spirit... If you have placed your faith in Jesus, if you've trusted in his life, his death and resurrection, acknowledging that he is God, your creator, and the savior of the world, then you have the Holy Spirit who will help you live as salt and light. If you don't know Jesus, if you're here today and you have not put your faith in Jesus, if you've not trusted in Christ, then you need to understand that the only way To be saved is through faith in him. Jesus is the salt and light of the world. John 12, 46, Jesus said, I have come as light into the world so that everyone who believes in me would not remain in darkness. He's calling you, he's calling us to repent of our sins, to turn to him, to leave behind a kingdom of darkness, turning to a kingdom of light he's inviting you into a kingdom of light as we go to the lord's table to celebrate communion let's remember that jesus is the salt and light of the world that it's only because of what he's done that we can live as salt and light we're as followers we're called to imitate and model his life publicly not keeping our faith hidden and private but with confidence going out into the world being the salt and light in confidence of who we are in Christ. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit. I pray for each of us here. We're all in different places. We all need you in different ways, but we all need you desperately. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to grow, that we would truly be the salt and light of the world, not because of us, but so that we can give glory to you. Thank you, Lord, for saving us. And God, I pray that as we go to respond now uh, through the Lord's Supper, remembering your death, giving yourself for us, pray that you would draw us closer to you this morning. We love you and we praise you. and We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.